Dude, are you gonna hook up with a Mexican girl? You're trying to hook me up with them, dude. Dude, it'd be great if you did, buddy. I get it, man. Shit. Sweet brown sugar. You should marry one of my cousins. If they're anything like you, I wouldn't be able to stand an hour with them. <laughs> Waking up in the morning, they'd be like, Hey, can I tell you a story? I know. Here's a story about this and a story about that and a story about this and a story about that. And, but dude, all what you gotta do is this. All you gotta that? do is this. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. You want to come to my cousin's quinceañera, my daughter's quinceañera, my brother's quinceañera, yeah. my sister's quinceañera. There's always something happening, though, bro. It's better than, like, hey, do you know the new kind of flavored coffee I have? Oh, do you really? like this kind of coffee? Shut the fuck the up, The baristas man. are excellent. You like fucking coffee, dude. Don't give me that shit. I like fucking good Starbucks coffee. Whatever, I'll let you lay into me. Lay into me, dude. Fine. 13 X-ray, 13 missing juvenile, 2717 Jefferson. Funniest part of that scene, which I'm just noticing, is how they adjust their sunglasses. Yeah, when, when they the, get call the call comes over the radio. Yeah, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. What do you mean? Well, like uh, you get these ticks when you do jobs like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you'll notice it in like the older dudes, especially they have like a tick that happens. Uh. That kind of like because you know the majority of a of a job in the military or police realm is going to be like 90 percent boredom yeah or maybe even 95 percent boredom and then five percent oh shit we're potentially going to get shot at or we are getting shot at and so you kind of like uh you know you bullshit with your buddies and all of a sudden you snap out of it it's like that's interesting yeah because they both took off their sunglasses yeah and and like readjusted them yeah that's so funny. That's a great movie. It is good, and you just saw it. Yeah. You had just claimed, you're like, there's no good movies left that I've seen that are, like, good action movies. And I'm like, hey, have you seen End of Watch? Yeah. No. And I was like, well, you should watch it. And then we watched it, and you were like, that was a good movie. I, well, I don't talk like that, but I love, I loved it. So that was the first good... Well, no, you've had a couple good choices, but it was definitely better than you know the than any bill murray movie I've no chosen. no then forgetting sarah marshall fuck you <laughs> are you not allowed to admit that on air I, that you love that movie i do love that movie i'm i'm admitting that i'm saying fuck you on air that you don't <laughs> like that movie look we were yelled at this week by our only fan codename uh skeletor and he was very angry that the podcast did not show up on his feed Tuesday. Um, I'm sorry we disappointed you. Yeah, you should be. It wasn't my fault. Well, it was a little bit your fault. No, it was mostly my fault. We got too drunk last weekend and partied too much. And No, no, no. You got too drunk. I got too drunk last weekend and partied too much. And then <laughs> during the week... Uh, one of us has a real job and has to actually work, so. <laughs> um, hey, you didn't say the name of the movie, though. Yeah, I did. It said End of Watch. Did you? Oh, yep. I missed it. Yep. It's because you don't have cans on. Oh, it's probably because I don't listen to you very much, so. That's true. I tune in and out. But uh, we thought that this episode would mainly be focused on 
why why we started the podcast and then we're gonna also go over um some marines from the battle of tarawa in world war ii in the pacific and we'll cover a couple of uh sites we found that have a lot of good stuff pertaining to u.s veterans and ally vets during uh world war ii sounds good it does sound good so you want to start off as to why wait what's your name my name is retsy boss retsy boss yes are you good at sewing yeah i like to i like to sew crochet all those kind of things okay cool do you need a flag i can make you a flag i would love a flag can it only have 13 stars on it instead of 50 yeah i do custom 13 12 all right sweet what do you want 13 is the popular one is it yeah okay (laughs) how many how many do you think she put out before she died i don't know I don't know, but I do know that Rush Limbaugh had, when the whole thing happened... Please stop. Wait, no, he had this whole thing about Betsy Ross shirts, and he's made a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, from assholes like my dad, who just buy <laughs> stuff like Whatever. that. He gave it to a good cause, but it's just, it's funny. Sure. My did. life's a good cause. Why doesn't he give it to me? Well, because you don't even listen to him. You Whatever. gotta be a fan. Anyway... Retsy boss. So, why did you want to start a podcast, a historical podcast about World War Two? Um. Well, okay. I thought you were going to start this, but um. Well, I guess my my love of World War Two stuff started um when I started my real education after I had graduated college. Uh, and I started kind of researching a little bit about the founding of the country, and I started listening to different voices. Um, I became obsessed with talk radio for a little while. <laughs> but they would talk a lot about the history and how we've come to be where we are. And they would say talk about a lot of things that I honestly didn't know that much about. And so... Um, I just started kind of becoming really curious about it, and then I watched World War II in color, um, which is a pretty classic kind of overarching narration about the war, but it has a lot of the original footage in color, and that was, you know, it was a big deal when it came out, but now it's on Netflix, so you can watch it. And, And so when I watched that, I started watching that, and I just... Um, this was a couple years ago, and I got just instantly hooked, and I watched that footage over and over. Just I would fall asleep to that footage. I don't know why, but uh, I was just became so interested in the history, and then I started reading more into uh, individual battles and, and started to kind of understand it more in a way that I had, um, thanks to my public education, had not had... <laughs> Like Where do you learn the same civics lesson every year until you graduate high school? <laughs> I don't even remember a civics lesson, but yeah. um, I remember learning about the Cold War. I think that was the one thing I remember learning in high school, but um, in terms of history. But so, um, and and then it, it sort of became um, 
more and more interesting as I started understanding the ramifications that are still there today and sort of a lot of the repeated th themes and uh, a lot of those things that um, you kind of see over and over again. And so I started reading a bunch of stuff about World War II. And, that's, and so I just want to learn more, which is why I, I'm doing the podcast, is to, to learn more, not because I claim to have any kind of authority on it. I just love to talk about it. So You definitely knew more than me at the outset, though. Because I met so? this girl, and she talked about World War II vets on our first, like, two or three dates, <laughs> Did I? which was a novelty, to be sure. <laughs> it's much less I find a woman who knows about, out, a woman outside of the military that knows about uh, military history is a very rare thing. You think so? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I do think so. Well, yeah, my brother used to make fun of me because he'd say, you know, I'd here I am trying to fall asleep to like ocean sounds, and you got <laughs> you got World War Two in color playing, uh, full volume. And that's how I would fall asleep. It was a weird thing, but I really I re read a lot of books about different battles, and when you find a good historical written text, it's it really kind of changes everything. And you realize that a lot of the history that you learn or are taught in high school, the texts are just badly written. And if you can find good historical writing, I mean, pff, just out of this world. Yeah. But tell us your story. Well, uh, our grandfather was, well, both of our grandfathers were vets. Uh, neither one served in World War II. But it was um, it was just a thing. I, I really admired my grandfather, and he was an Air Force vet. He retired as a colonel, and he was super into history. And so as a young boy, in order to emulate what you see and like, I decided that I was going to like history mm. and that I was going to like the military. And that's where our focus shifted. You know, we grew up on John Wayne movies. We grew up on Kelly's Heroes. Like, that was all the stuff that was, like, in our brains. So it's always been around. And then as you get older, and, you know, I've done my time with the military, mm -hmm. you begin to respect uh, what they did more. Yeah. And then we've talked about this a, a lot. Um but the current political climates in the U.S. is kind of what really made me want to do this because it does seem like uh, people don't understand history. Yeah. They don't understand that um, we fought against two fascists. Um, you know, we fought against the Nazi socialists and we fought against the Empire of the Sun. And uh, yeah. those those characters aren't respected anymore because you have people in the U.S. calling people Nazis left and right. It's like, yeah. what do you think that any of the guys that we cover, what do you think the 442nd infantrymen who fought through discrimination, who lost buddies in Italy, who lost buddies in France, who lost buddies in Germany, what, what do you think they would feel like if you just flippantly called someone a fucking Nazi right yeah. in front of their face for doing nothing close to what the Nazi party did. Exactly. 
for doing nothing close to what they did. And I mean, they they put that label on the president of the United States, who has done nothing that. Well, they put they it on did. everyone. And what I want well, to be yeah, clear about is the, the Nazis died. We conquered them. Like, we destroyed that piece of culture. They became extinct. That's right. And uh, and I think it's very disrespectful for people to just to use that nowadays and to compare people to Hitler and Nazis. Yeah. And anyway, well, and then on the other side, you have the Japanese, which, uh, you know, you had that. Their society wasn't as technologically advanced as ours. They didn't have the the as the abundance of resources. They didn't have the population, and yet they posed quite a threat. And they almost dominated uh, China and most of the South Pacific <clears throat> until they decided to poke the bear, and then we came into the fight. But you know, you have that culture that was based around an emperor god. Yeah. Does that sound She's familiar crazy. to anyone modern day? Like maybe uh, a Korean dictator that's been around for a long time and has control of nuclear weapons and his people are forced to be subservient to him. So it's these uh, these patterns in history that made me interested in this uh, in this podcast and just trying to get this information out here. Because every time I would see stuff about world war ii vets it would always fascinate me yeah saving private Same. ryan fascinated band of brothers oh, fascinated yeah. uh dick winner's book fascinated whenever because they uh jocko i talked about him on the lost pack last podcast he mm-hmm. did an episode on dick winner's book it's it's amazing that dude was yeah. so uh, uh yeah. genius I read and the then book. uh the pacific and you know lecky and sledge yeah and uh all those dudes i mean they just they fascinate me because it was a it was it was a time when we fought a war we didn't want to fight uh i mean we tried to stay out of it as hard as we could and we were attacked and at that point you know we showed just how crazy we were and just how powerful america was and how you couldn't you couldn't stop us I mean, we conquered, we conquered two different civilizations at the same time. Yeah, and and pretty vicious civilizations. I mean, the Japanese obviously had a long history of being warriors and fighting and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's well known that the Japanese thought at that time that America was, you know, they kind of thought they're a bunch of partiers. They're not gonna. They're not warriors. Like they had a a, a perception of America. Soft boys. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, that were they wrong? That wasn't correct. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's kind of what it uh, attracted me to the podcast, and I I just love talking about military history. So hopefully, after we uh, if we cover this long enough, I'd like to do a today in Vietnam. I'd like to do a today in World War One. I'd like to do a today in afghanistan or iraq and talk about some of the more recent uh heroes that we've had yeah that would be cool i i will say too though that when this whole world war ii um love affair of mine began it, not long after the movie dunkirk came out and uh you've seen dunkirk right you mean i've seen tom hardy in dunkirk yes. yeah i know <laughs> 
He is. Yeah, are we talking about my love affair movie. with Tom Hardy? Or are we talking well, about? We can. Okay. You want to tell everybody about how you That's love a whole Tom podcast Hardy? Everybody song. loves Tom Hardy. He's, he's so great, man. He's not just yours. He's going to screw up, he's and I'm going to hate it. But in any case, um, and and so that was, after I seen that movie, that was one of those moments where I just thought, wow, like I got to know more about this. Because the way that movie was done was just so subtle and and it showed a, a scene of history weird. that you had never heard before. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and I knew about Dunkirk because I had been reading about it already. And so it just hit so many historical points in a very subtle way. And I just thought, this is brilliant. And I tried to tell everybody about that movie. And so it's, a, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, yeah. go watch it. It's very, it's very sad. It's very tense. It's very slow. It's not your classic war movie. Yeah. But it... Um, it's great in the it. fact that it presents uh, a piece of that history. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, what it's all about, just because I've been in the military, and I know that um, there's a lot of people in the military who are never going to be recognized or never get medals. or Yeah. And, and it's important to keep these stories going so people know uh, that others sacrificed for the country they have today. Yeah. And it's... Man, stuff like that sounds kind of corny because it gets said a lot, especially by politicians, but it's it's true. Like, you watch... The coolest thing about doing a project like this is forcing yourself to research. Yeah, exactly. And so watching the videos uh, I watched about Tarawa, uh, I mean, it, it gut-wrenched me. Like, I was already prepared to be... It's like, oh, this is a tough battle. But hearing the Marine talking about how his... Uh, his sergeant gave him a pep talk and then poked his head over the tractor and got it blown off and fell onto him and how he's crying as like a 70 year old man into the camera remembering that yeah. as a 20 year old i mean that that jerks your gut and um oh yeah it makes you uh it just makes you appreciate life in a different way so uh up next we're going to talk about uh sergeant michael widowich and uh so in the last episode, we covered Ernie Pyle, and I went on a kind of soapbox about how there weren't enough people talking about World War II vets. And I kind of, after you listen to yourself talk, you, you think you're a dumbass. So. <laughs> but there are a bunch of sites that actually do cover uh, veteran history. Yeah. And one of them, and it was funny because we recorded that episode, posted it, and literally that day I see this, this post about this guy from uh it's a instagram called zulu fucks and the website is zero foxtrot and it's a bunch of vets that sell clothing basically but they run an awesome instagram uh and that's zulu z-u-l-u fucks f-u-c-k-s and they basically just post um pictures of veterans all throughout history and then give like a brief story about what they did and it's fascinating stuff because it's exactly what we talk about they talk about guys you've never heard of incidents you've never heard of battles you've never heard of and they do it so you can constantly remember that there were awesome men who did these awesome things so i do want to plug them real quick uh, because they're great. So if you're interested in this podcast, you definitely would love that Instagram. 
Um, and their website just sells clothing, so it doesn't have, like, the descriptions of veterans. But mm-hmm. if you remember, uh, I, I bought those shirts from them, and they sent yeah. that card. Oh, yeah, with the dog. Yeah, with the, the cool story about a dog from World War One who was picked up by a vet from World War One in the trenches, and they noticed that the dog... Uh, was so attuned to the mortars Mm -hmm. and the artillery that the dog would get down before the guys would so they would be able to sense the barrage before it came and then the dog was also used to send messages back and forth and he was basically a hero he got a couple of awards when he came back from the war in america isn't that amazing it is amazing and there's stories there's like just so many stories like that that happen in war that and i love that this company is so um about keeping those stories alive yeah so what makes a good insta i'm not on instagram what makes a good instagram page well i mean instagram's just like any other social media site it's all about what you're into so mm-hmm. the reason why I love them is because they their posts are specifically about war and war history. So it's just pictures and then the, the little blur. And then a post, yeah. Oh, okay. And their posts are all awesome because it's just historical stuff that I want to know about. Okay. Yeah. So we're cool. going to play this uh, this clip real quick. Michael Vitovich joined the United States Marine Corps early in the war. And he remembers what he was taught to feel about the Japanese from almost the first day of his training. They showed us the Japanese fighting the Chinese, showed us how they threw the children up and bayoneted them. And they put that hate in us. In other words, you can't kill sweetly. You have to have that hate. Well, after that training, you have a lot of hate. I hated the Japs. But it was something that I just loved to do, kill day in and day out. I thought they were very cruel. They were sadistic. They wanted to die for the emperor, and we had to go out there and help them die for the emperor. I would have described myself as a professional killer. United States Marine was sent out thousands of miles from home to die for an ideal so that we'd have a better world to live in. And because of the Japs, what they did to Pearl Harbor, we had to go and defend our freedom. In November 1943, Michael Vitovich took part in the American assault on the tiny Pacific atoll of Tarawa. I felt awful. I was like paralyzed going in, going in to die, you know, because you see so many of your buddies are dying and you got to keep on going. That's a funny feeling. But the prayers helped. Talk to the man upstairs. Do unto others as others do unto you, I guess, you know, war is hell. So we were in hell. As we were going in, the boat got hooked on the coral because the tide was going out. Two of us went out, and then a shell hit the boat. Bodies just blew all over. Parts of bodies, heads, legs. And we started swimming, waist deep, to the beach. I blew a lot of them out of the caves. We put gasoline in the slits of the pillboxes and lit it with a flamethrower, and we shot the hell out of them as they were going out. You can imagine the smell that was there on Tarawa. It's like cat manure. It's horrible. Makes you want to puke. I put some cotton in my nose, but the smell was horrible. With the maggots crawling over the bodies, over the eyes and mouth. And we sat there eating our rations. A dead Jap here, a dead Marine there. I was very bitter about losing my buddies. Seeing them lying there, burying them. 
leaves an awful feeling in your heart. Fellows that you trained with, went on liberty with, young kids, 16, 17. Sometimes it's even hard to think about the horrors of the war. The screaming, the help, help. I used to have that in my battle dreams, you know. I relived that in my dreams. From the horrors of Tarawa. And uh, there's more about Michael Widowich, uh, where he goes into his stay on Saipan, which is pretty insane. And uh, uh, hopefully on another podcast we get to the Marines in Saipan because that battle sounded pretty terrible. Um, but that was just his short bit about Tarawa, and that's what was on the uh, Zulu Fucks Instagram and what made me want to uh, read up more about the battle and more about the Marines that participated in it. If you're not familiar with the history of uh, the war, uh, the, the overall battle strategy, because this happened in 20th to the 23rd of 1943 in November, so we had been in the yeah. war since 41. Uh, the first couple years was all about, um, we, we did have a presence in the Pacific, a small presence, and uh, it was kind of like an initial foothold, and we challenged the Japs, but we weren't on the offensive. We were kind of on the defensive. And so after all that goes out, midway it happened, um, we had kind of gained the advantage in Navy on the Japanese at that point, mm-hmm. and we began doing the island hopping campaign. Right. So Tara was, was one of those uh, island hops, basically. And if you don't, if you aren't familiar with, island hopping or what it was for it was basically you know japan has a string of islands leading to it from australia and so uh wars are all fought on supply lines and uh back then it was a game of airstrips so how you could bounce airplanes from one island to another right and you have this vast amount of ocean and tarawa was one of those places where both countries just decided hey that's a good spot uh, we can bounce supplies from there. So we took that island as a way to get closer to attacking the Japan homeland. Right, exactly. Yeah. So just to talk a little about uh, Tarawa, like I said, it was 20th to the 23rd, November 1943. So it was actually only three days, uh, which is pretty crazy because uh, there's a, a bunch of casualties and there's about a thousand dead Marines at the end of that. <clears throat> and the total number of troops that participated. So you had 35,000 from the American side, and the Japanese had about 2,600 troops defending. And then they had an additional 2,200 uh, laborers that were on the island. Korean, right? Like Korean slave labor? Half Korean, half Japanese, yeah. They had 14 takes, uh, 40 artillery pieces, and 14 naval guns implanted on that island. And we went against them with 18,000 Marines, five escort carriers, three battleships, two cruisers, two light cruisers, 22 destroyers, two mine sweepers, and 18 transports and landing ships. So the total casualties, uh, they had 1,600 killed on the U.S. side, 2,000 wounded. And they had 4,600 Japanese soldiers killed, 17 
soldiers captured. Remained. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Nuts. Yeah. That's absolutely nuts. Yeah. 129 laborers captured and all the tanks were destroyed. Yeah. Uh, one carrier was sunk as well during that campaign. Yeah. What's crazy is that because it was the first in the, like you said, in the island hopping. I don't... Uh, I don't know if it was the first, but I know it was oh, significant. I, th- I, know I it think was, I think it was one of the first. Yeah, it was definitely um, early on in the island hopping campaign. Um, but in any case, and so they, before the Marines landed, they bombarded it with a bunch of... Um, one million pounds of ordnance. Right. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so if you're listening at home, imagine one million pounds hard to imagine it's very hard to imagine i'm 160 pounds i don't even know what that divides into a million (laughs) but it's close to a hundred thousand right yeah so it's a hundred thousand of me yeah can you can you imagine a hundred thousand of me i i would prefer not to imagine that because it would be too sexy be too much it'd be too amazing much i think i'd explode but anyway yeah so they they bombarded uh and there's a really cool film. I know we talked about with the 442nd. There was a military film put together. There's another one that's put together about Tarawa, and it's more of a documentary style. They go over a lot of the numbers. It's kind of whitewashed. You know, it's, it doesn't really go into depth about um, just the horror and the death because it would be something that would play at the beginning of movies. Um but they do go over the ordnance dropped, and they bombarded the island for three days with Navy guns. Yeah. And their strategy was they would do Navy guns for like three, four hours. Then they would the, the Navy airplanes would go in for a couple hours and strafe and bomb. And then the planes would come back to the ships, and then they would bombard again. And they would basically, they did that nonstop for three days. Yeah. And the, if you look at pictures of the island, it's a very small island. Like it's it, so small. It's smaller than like a city, a middle-sized city in America. It's tiny. So it's kind of... <clears throat> I mean, they were sure everybody was dead by that point. Well, here's the thing that a lot of people who aren't familiar with military tactics... Um, it, it's funny because you. I, I've mentioned this book to you before, but the book Starship Troopers. Yeah. He talks about it. Um, it's a great book. The movie was great, but it's it's a kind of a joke. The book, though, is more uh, realistic, and he writes about a future. And even in the future, where we have space travel, and you know we figured out like a, atomic bomb and fission and all this stuff, they still need infantry to fight. Right. And that's the bottom line of all wars. Is even today, with as advanced as our weapons are, they mean nothing unless you can push infantry in there and take the ground Mm -hmm. and that's why the nazis were not successful in dominating britain during the battle of britain because they had the best air force and they had all this advantage and they had britain on the run and they bombed the hell out of them but they weren't able to conquer those people with just bombing Mm -hmm. they needed to invade they had to take over they had to actually have boots on the ground in order to make that happen so and then just to go over uh, the Japanese preparations. <clears throat> so the Japanese early on knew, uh, even before they attacked Pearl Harbor, that 
this island was important because of its location in comparison to Japan. And they sent engineers out. Uh, it's about, it was about two miles long, and it's about 800 yards across. So pretty narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was at its widest point. So its skinnier points were even less than 800s. But they sent some of their special forces there to basically build it up. Uh, and they sent even more in 1942 in August once they realized that it was a strategic place uh, to, to launch aircrafts and to have as a supply point. Uh, and they basically had... So are you familiar with what a CB is? A CB? Yeah. I am, I'm not sure. So CBs is a, a combat engineer, but for the Navy. Oh, okay. So if you don't know what a combat engineer is, they're basically guys who are prepared to get shot at and also build up fortifications build, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. But they have like a multitude of other jobs, right? They're just handy guys. Mm-hmm. So if you were in a defensive position like the Japs, you would have uh, their version of a CB, which was what they called the 111th Pioneers. And they went in and they looked at it like a strategy and they said, okay, we need to build up this. We need to pillbox that. We need to make a tunnel here. And they had about a year to prepare for this, right? With Mm -hmm. about a thousand men uh, doing those fortifications. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I read something that it was the day after or two days after Pearl Harbor that the Japanese were like, okay, start setting up that island. Because they knew that it was going to be a... Yeah, they had studied, I mean, they had studied the strategy of what the war was going to be like, and they knew what they had to do. So all the islands were like that, right? I mean, Guadalcanal was like that. Iwo Jima was like that. They had these crazy sets of pillboxes and defenses set in each island that were a lot tougher than what they were, we thought they were going to be. Yeah. Um, So... Basically, at the end of it, they had a bunch of special forces there. They had about 2,000 men, uh, and they claimed that they could throw a million men at that island and 100 years, and they wouldn't be able to conquer it Yeah, remember. And they were wrong. Yeah. I don't know if you have this um, on your notes also, but it was interesting. Maybe that's what I was thinking was the first one, but but Tarot was the first battle at least in the pacific to be caught on film and it was the first battle that the american public saw back home wherein they saw the dead marines floating in the water and those images became very very shocking and the american public was suddenly realized and understood a, a lot more what was actually happening in the pacific front than they had before so yeah, they have a great scene, and you've read the book, so you can let me know if it's true. But in Lucky's book, A Helmet for My Pillow, uh, when it's he great it's great, he's he's my favorite character in the HBO show The Pacific. So if you haven't seen The Pacific, oh yeah, great watch. Um, and Robert Lucky is one of the characters they follow, who is a guy who wrote a book about his times as a marine in the Pacific. But he comes home, and he gets out of the taxi at his parents' house. And the guy shakes his hand, and he says, I'm not taking money from you. I wasn't no gyrene. I was in Europe. I had my fair share of women and German beer. Oh, yeah. And I know that you guys just had jungle crotch rot. Yeah. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I really hope that was true. Is that Taxi mentioned in the driver. book at all? Um, 
I I don't remember if that exact scene was mentioned in the book. We'll have to look that up. But uh, yeah. that was kind of a cool because that I mean I it guess it probably was. I mean it probably was. And yeah. just like the scene where he's trying to enroll in college and the sledge. The, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's sledge. That's yeah. Right. He's like, I I know how to kill japs, yeah, man. Yeah. She's like, yeah. what do you know how do to do? Do you tap? <laughs> do you do you have any background in business or logistics? I know how to kill Japs, ma'am, and I'm damn good at it. I'm good at it. God, what a badass. That was was actually the only time I thought he was a badass in that whole show. Really? Yeah, I didn't. I like the New Orleans guy. Oh, yeah. That's because you're biased. Yeah, well, John Wayne Jr. is from New Orleans, so. Exactly. What can you say? But anyway, uh, about Tarawa, to shift gears back. Um. So if you heard that guy talking about uh, Widowich talking about his time in Tarawa, you can kind of understand um, how brutal it was just from mm-hmm. his words. Uh, and we talked about it with uh, the Ernie Pyle thing, how they were in Germany and they had the snipers in the, or I'm sorry, they were in France and they had the snipers in the hedgerows and they began to hate the Germans at that point because the tactics weren't what they considered honorable and the Japanese on Tarawa were much the same way. Um, they would strap themselves to trees and they would shoot at Marines basically until they died. That's and so you're crazy. fighting against a force that has no regard for their life whatsoever. Yeah, which was, I think, the thing that uh, people in the Pacific had the hardest time grappling with, right? It's like this idea that you're fighting an enemy that a juggernaut. doesn't care yeah. if they die. That was the whole thing with the kamikazes and all that stuff. So, that's pretty wild. Well, you want to talk about your guy um, on Tarawa? I'm going to go get a beer. Oh, how dare you. This podcast um, brought to you by Budweiser. It's not, but and, I wish it was. Guinness, in case they're listening. In case Budweiser. Ireland is listening. Budweiser. Ireland. I love Guinness. Okay. So, yeah, so... Um, we are located close to El Paso. El Paso is kind of my hometown. Um, I lived there for a long time, and I've kind of been there for a long time. Um, so I found this interesting story about one of the Marines in the Battle of Tarawa that was from El Paso, and if you've ever passed through El Paso, or I don't know why you would, but some people have (laughs) from L.A. to Austin. That's usually the trek that brings people. But um, you'll run into Hawkins Street and Hawkins Elementary School. So there's a lot of stuff named after this guy, and I wasn't actually aware of his story, so it was pretty cool to come up come up with his story and kind of realize that a lot of this stuff like that street that I've driven on for so many years was actually named after this um, marine and so he's got a kind of interesting story when he was a kid uh, one of his neighbors dropped scalding hot water on him and he got all these crazy scars uh, all over his body and so when he tried to enlist in the service those scars initially kept him out of the service and um, so oh, his name was William D. Hawkins, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned his name. Dean Hawkins. They Everybody called him Hawk. 
But so he got when he was a kid, he got all these scars. And so at some point he tried to convince his friends, let's all join the service. And they all went down together to enlist. And his friends got accepted and he didn't because he had these scars and he was kind of traumatized about it. So then he continued working. And then once uh, I think Pearl Harbor happened, he was adamant about trying to join the war effort so he went into the marines and the marines took him and uh you know there's a part in this little book excerpt that i read that he was so excited he said the toughest of all of them picked me and he he was sort of like uh finally felt that that he could participate in what he had wanted to do for a long time so um but anyway he his I think he died as a first, a first lieutenant, as first lieutenant, um, and so he died on the island, and not too long ago, um, it says here, Hawkins was posthumously awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, an airfield and a Navy destroyer, the USS Hawkins, were named in his honor, Hawkins Elementary School also is named for him, um, and so that's, that's pretty cool, a bit of, kind of local local history um there's a little bit i'm trying to find it where um they talk about when he died um 13 14 15 uh hold on hold on yeah i have his uh medal of honor citation if you want me to oh that yeah that's fine i was looking for something else but go for it so the citation reads, For valorous and gallant conduct above and beyond the call of duty as commanding officer of a scout sniper platoon. That's pretty cool. Attached to the 2nd Marine, 2nd Marine Division, in action against Japanese-held Tarawa in Gilbert Islands, November 20th and 21st, 1943. The first to disembark from the Jeep lighter, 1st Lieutenant Hawkins, unhesitatingly moved forward under heavy enemy fire at the end of the Betio Pier, neutralizing emplacements and coverage of troops assaulting the main breach positions, fearlessly leading his men on to join the forces fighting desperately to gain a beachhead. He repeatedly risked his life throughout the day and night to direct and lead attacks on pillboxes and installations with grenades and demolition. At dawn on the following day, Hawkins returned to the dangerous mission of clearing the limited beachhead of Japanese resistance, personally initiating an assault of, on a hostile fortified by five enemy machine guns and crawling forward in the face of withering fire, boldly fired point-blank into the loopholes and completed the destruction with grenades, refusing to withdraw after being seriously wounded in the chest during the skirmish First Lieutenant Hawkins steadfastly carried the fight to the enemy, destroying three more pillboxes before he was caught in a burst of Japanese self shell fire and mortally wounded. His relentless fighting spirit in the face of formidable opposition and his exceptionally daring tactics were an inspiration to his comrades during the most crucial phase of the battle and reflect the highest credit upon the United States Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life for his country. Signed, FDR. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and and it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I honestly have been driving past the street 
almost my whole life and I never knew and um so yeah the little bit that I was looking for was just this kind of so I'm glad you read that so it's it's, this book here it says after Dean Hawkins death um Sergeant McCluskey of the U.S. Army wrote to Dean Hawkins' mother and uh he quotes mom did I ever tell you of the last talk Dean and I had the Christmas of 1941 when we were together with Pearl Harbor only a short time before and Dean's plans to enter the, Mex- the Marines completed, we naturally spoke of the future that we could expect. Dean's last words to me were, Mac, I'll see you someday, but not on this earth. Even before he left, he knew he wasn't coming back. So, you know, his young kid tried to enlist early, didn't. He ended up working. Um, he was kind of a day laborer for a while before the war really kind of took off and was a hard worker and um, loved the outdoors. He was married, divorced, and then um, and then he went overseas. Finally, the Marines took him, and it seemed to be his his place, you know. Yeah, it's funny how desperate uh, young men are for a place in this world and how when we find that, we'll fight tooth and nail to uh, defend it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh but yeah, it's it's cool you mentioned that because uh so another another site I found um that has a lot of great stuff from World War Two veterans is a YouTube channel called Heroes of the Second World War and it's probably the most amazing thing I've found in a while because it's just a whole bunch of videos. There's not really any questions it's just old old vets from world war ii giving their story about what happened specifically in their theater and so i did find a video uh from one of the guys who was a marine on tarawa from a mr florentine and uh it's just under the title of uh hero on tarawa talks about it doesn't even say his name you have to listen to the video to get his name but uh, <clears throat> he mentions a couple things in that video that are pretty heartbreaking. Uh, the one was a story I already told about his sergeant popping his head over the uh, the, oh, the tractor yeah. and getting it shot off and falling onto him. Gosh, could you imagine? No, I can't. <laughs> and then also about how uh, the resistance was pretty heavy going in the beachhead and they had a grenade actually got thrown into their tractor and he curled up into a fetal position and felt it bounce off his back and it exploded but luckily it the shrapnel didn't hit him so he was still good and he fought for a couple of days before eventually he got he got shot in the arm on the second day and on the third day he got shot in the neck um, and on that injury he had to get brought back to Hawaii yeah but he mentions uh one part and as soon as he talks about it's a great video so I would really recommend going to watch it all you have to do is type in Tarawa to YouTube and it's one of the first videos that pops up or search through the uh channel uh Heroes of the Second World War yeah but he talks about how he had a buddy in uh infantry school who was like this he knew was a warrior um and the buddy was like hey you better be moving when we hit tarawa because i'm gonna step over you if not like as in you're you're gonna die and i'm still gonna be pushing forward and he stepped over that guy's dead body 
Oh, wow. And kept moving, Gosh. and that stuck out in his head. So, Oof. yeah. It, <clears throat> it was a brutal long. fight, and they talk about the tactics that the Japanese were using. Their fortifications were pretty heavy, so all of the naval bombardments and the, the strafe runs and the bombs from the Navy planes basically had no effect on the defenders. They were able to take out their main artillery pieces, so it became a ground fight at that point. But once the Marines got onto the beach, it was a ground fight. Yeah. And that same Marine, Mr. Florentine, mentions that some of those Navy planes were strafing friendlies, too. Oh, wow. So you're dealing with that. And he talks about how, you know, they were they were in these tractors, which you have to offload from a ship in the ocean yeah. onto a tractor. So you're worried about fucking that up. You get in the tractor, and you're floating in the middle of an ocean like a like a target you know because they had their own mortars and artillery and machine guns on the island and your navy is bombing the island and that's going on for four hours and you're listening to that and he talks about how he's scared shitless yeah that's crazy yeah and you can't blame him because it when you watch those documentaries on that invasion in tarawa it's just it's constant noise like there's never a stop in the noise yeah even when the americans land they're still bombarding and then another cool thing i found was after a day of fight so the first day they land on the beachhead they form up and they get their reinforcements the second day they move into the island right on that second day the cbs the engineers i mentioned Mm -hmm. immediately start clearing the airfield and they already have a plane land into the airfield while the battle's going on. Mm, so nice. it's pretty, it's pretty cool how efficient pretty at war efficient. they were. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's funny because Ernie Pyle, who talked about last week, would talk about that about how about some of the efficiency and the preciseness and the plan. Even though sometimes obviously didn't go right. Yeah, and of it, it never does. Control. Yeah, Mr. Florentine mentions in his video that they had messed up the calculations of the tide. And yeah, so exactly. when they did their landing, it, it, was it wasn't tide. ideal. Yeah, yeah, they weren't able to get as far into that beachhead as they thought they would. Yeah, so some of them had to go through a couple feet of water with their heavy packs and stuff while they're getting shot at from various directions. So that's pretty wild. Yeah, and the Japanese were so... They were such fierce fighters. So... A couple of the tractors, which if you don't know what a tractor is, uh, we use them up through Korea. And basically it's a different version of the Higgins boat. But it's a small amphibious tank that you would load packs onto that would deliver the packs from the troop carrier ships to the island. Mm. So they were able to knock out a couple of the tractors and they stayed, you know, in the shallows. And uh, all the troops got off and went inland. But the Japs at night got into those tractors, set up machine guns, and fired at the Americans from their backs. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, That's... I shouldn't say Japs. <laughs> the Japanese. <laughs> oh, you can in the context. It's funny. Yeah, they say Japs in all the videos, so that's where I get that from. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um... the, the sum up of Tarawa, it was three days hard fighting, and uh, we were eventually able to raise the flag. And it came at a substantial price for a lot of those Marines fighting on that island. Very much so. And at that point, um, as was stated at the beginning from, 
Let me get his rank right. Michael Widowich. I think he was a staff sergeant. And so if you're a staff sergeant, that means he was already a career man and he mm. was in. So he had been in the Marines mm. since the onset of the war, basically, and knew all about what was going on. And he became that uh, disgusted with their tactics just from that one encounter, which was three days long. That's crazy. So the mentality of those guys is something that uh, I can't even comprehend. Yeah, it really is hard um, to... So, but and any something interesting that I found found too was I don't know if you ran across this guy Leon Cooper. No. Um. So he was uh, a Navy landing boat commander, and he survived the ba- the Battle of Tarawa. But a couple years, um, not too long ago, he found out that. Well, it must it must have been a couple of years now, but. He found out that the site of the Tarawa landings had become basically a landfill, a dump. And he found this out and he was like, I can't, like my buddies died, you know, the Americans died on that. So there's, um, there's kind of, there's a film and there's pictures of him. I read this interesting article of how he, oh, it's in 2009. Uh, he returns to Tarawa, and he you see him kind of talking to the people, and he walks onto the beach, and it's full of just trash. It's just completely trashed. And he can't believe that the site has become basically, I mean, just a complete dump. So he works to restore it, and I think he dies a couple days later. Um, n- not days later, years later. Um, so he he manages to get the site kind of restored, but it's just c- kind of crazy to think that that site became that um, after so many Americans had died on that on that beach. That so. kind of tells you, you know, just thinking in the mind of a m- infantryman. Uh, not that I am one, but <clears throat> these guys were probably pissed off. Because they're going to islands in the middle of nowhere that are super small. And they're having to watch their buddies die for it. Yeah. And they're being told this is so we can accomplish the next objective. But when you're in that small scope of being on the ground, you know, getting mortared, getting hit by sniper fire, watching people die, that's a hard pill to swallow in the first place. Yeah. So you want to give that land meaning. And it's crazy when you talk... When you see, because uh, in the documentaries they talk about the way that the the planning went out for this, those guys were in New Guinea training for an assault that they n- had no idea where it was. Yeah. And they were in the water on their troop carrier, and a destroyer came up, and it was it's really cool to see. The destroyer fires a cable across to the troop carrier, and it sends a packet of classified documents across while they're all in the ocean. So they're sending this packet across, and the troop carrier receives it, and they're like a couple days out from Tarawa, and that's when they find out, oh, we're invading Tarawa. Oh, yeah. So then they have like two days on ship to plan. That's wild. And they actually find out their objectives and stuff. So the amount of uh, tension must have like just been ridiculous. I mean, yeah. think about going into it just like a standardized test and not knowing what the test is on until two days before. Mm-hmm. Now replace that test with your life. 
your life and your buddy's life and yeah it's like this huge unknown yeah it, it's pretty wild um and so this so there i came another i came across another interesting story too just because we're talking about how it's good for these stories to be remembered and i came across a story of a guy who was a pilot he's a commercial airline pilot i think and he became obsessed with finding the remains of a lot of the marines in tarawa because a lot of them were not were never found or they were never returned home and so this guy spent thousands of dollars of his own money to find these remains and he had like aerial photographs taken and and then the the department of the, i guess the marines who who is in charge of that of taking um, remains and bringing them back home um, they got into a lot of clashes because this guy was just some civilian dude he wasn't even Doing a military guy yeah yeah and they and they started they started fighting and but so this whole idea that there here's this random dude that is dedicating his life and his money to to find the remains and, and bring them home and it's i mean it's a ridiculous amount of money to bring remains of you know, first of all, to find the remains. Secondly, to test them, because you have to test them with the DNA <coughs> of a live relative. So it's thousands and thousands of dollars to do this work. And here he is doing it just because he believes it's important, you know. So it's interesting. Yep. So that's uh, going to wrap us up for Tarawa. We're almost at the top of the hour. Uh and just a couple of closing remarks. One thing both of us neglected to mention, I guess you, you should have been able to infer it, but neither one of us are historians. Okay. Um, we just like to research this stuff. And you well, should, I was very clear about that. I yeah. said I have no authority. <laughs> I didn't say that. So you should take all this with a grain of salt. But we, we do try to be somewhat thorough in our research, and we hope that it's as accurate as possible. But you should always look it up for yourself and see the story for yourself just because there's so much great stuff on these topics. So when this podcast airs on Monday, there will be a Facebook group and a Gmail set up, um, and you'll be able to reach us and hopefully give us uh, some feedback and give us future topics you want to hear more about in World War II. Yeah, or if you have cool stories about how you got interested in world war ii or you know i imagine if you're listening to this you're somewhat interested in it already so how did how did that happen that'd be kind of fun to know yeah what sparks people's interest because it's certainly not high school history class no although i mean i had some good i had a few good teachers growing up that help you but yeah Mm. it, it it's just funny how you find out stuff on your own yeah, I mean, like I said, my education started after I graduated college. Thank oh. you, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> We're supposed to be plugging Budweiser <laughs> and Zulu Fox, hey, and that was it. What? Rush Limbaugh gives I don't have free iPhones away. Guinness and Rush Limbaugh. Well, I don't know if he does that anymore, but in any case, the guy is an American gold mine. Are you texting in the middle of the podcast? Don't. So he's lecturing me about mentioning Rush Limbaugh, and he's texting somebody. 
It was important. No, uh, it wasn't. Please stop. Get out of here. Anyway, it's- that's the end of our podcast. Uh, if you like what we do, leave a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, throw five stars up. Leave a comment. It, it would uh, do us a favor and help us get uh, brought up on searches and recommendations. And that's all we have. Uh, signing out, John Wayne Jr. and Red, Red Sea, sea Boss. Boss. <laughs> you almost forgot what your name I was. I did not. Out. It's- <laughs> out.